Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and a special welcome to you this morning. We are so thankful for this uh, incredible day to be together in worship. If you are new to Memphis today, especially some of our downline crew, welcome to the 901. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm not originally from Memphis. Came to Memphis nine years ago, following a girl who I wanted to get engaged to, and I was successful. Um, the Lord was gracious. But yeah, I first came to Memphis, and I was like, all I thought was, there's like a, a rap or a song, like, hide your kids, hide your wife. That's the mentality that I had um, coming into Memphis. I was like scared out of my mind, and everybody told me it was like, lock your doors at night. It's a very scary city. Anyway, it's like the boogeyman was waiting to get me. Found out this is an incredible place to call home. Not only did we come for the season that we were here for, but we stayed and we plan to stay as long as God would have us here. We love it here. So anyway, I'm excited to welcome you uh, to Memphis, and I'm especially glad to welcome y'all to our, our church. We're just a big family of faith here in this downtown community. We started in a house, literally two houses down from where I currently live, uh, about whoa, 14 years ago now. And uh, yeah, God has just been gracious to us. We are just a big family of people who love Jesus in this community, and we are working hard uh, to be a gospel church, uh, and just praying hard more than anything to be a gospel church here for our downtown midtown community. So welcome today. Let me pray for us, and we will continue in our time of worship. Father, thank you. Thanks for this incredible day of worship, Lord. This day is not about us, it's about you. And it's not about what we're doing for you, it's about what you have done for us and can still do for us. Lord, you work with power. The same power that raised your son Jesus from the grave is the very power that is available to work right now in our hearts and lives as we connect with you, as we trust you, as we surrender to you, God. It is all about you and your grace. And we just thank you. Lord, our boast today is not in ourselves, but it's in you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your incredible salvation, Lord. We thank you for your love for us, love that gave everything for us. Thank you for your life, for our righteousness, your death, for our forgiveness, Lord. You're taking our place in the grave and your triumphant resurrection from the dead, Jesus, that you now are the triumphant King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of all who believe, and Lord, we thank you so much. It is all about you. God, we know, I know, that there are so many needs here in the room today, Lord. You know each and every one of us, every thought in our head, every desire in our life, every circumstance that we're going through, Lord, we, we know that you know us, and we know that this day is a, it's a time for us to meet with you, so I'm just praying today, God, that you would speak to us uh, through your word, Lord, that we would listen, and not just listen, but really receive in a way that we are surrendered to you, and Lord, that we want to seek uh, continual change in you, so God, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them open, and if you got something to write with, I encourage you to get that as well. We're going to be talking today, uh, I want to teach you a message as a part of our Engage August series, which is a month that we are dedicated to as a church to kind of lay solid foundations for the new ministry year ahead. Uh, as part of our Engage August series, I want to talk to you this morning about our commitment to transformational discipleship. Luke chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, and I will read from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen taken from the Word of God and put up here uh, for you. This is not man's words, but God's words uh, to us. Luke chapter 5. Everybody there? Okay, I actually like response. 
Are y'all there? Oh, cool, cool. All right. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out to them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled over to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Zion. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed this is God's word. Luke chapter 5. Well, I, you might be asking, why do I pick this passage for today? Um, there's, there's several reasons, but like I said, this month is a foundational for, month for us as a church. And I really want to remind us again and again as we go throughout this month, really what we are to be about. You see, there's a lot of things that the church can be built about, can be centered on, can be focused on, or could be described. You know, when you ask the church, what's your church about? There's a lot of things uh, that people sometimes think, some common assumptions. I'll put some of them on the screen for y'all to see and see if you agree with me or not. Uh, some people would say, what's the church about? And the first thing they think of is like if ICC, right? What's, you, what is Island Community Church? Oh, it's that church down near Cozy Corner, kind of by St. Jude downtown. You got the big circle on the front of the place? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That is thinking that the church is somehow about its location, all right? Some other people could think that it's about its people. Oh, that's the place where, you know, my friends Mary Beth and Buddy, like they're in that church, and Ross and Amber, and I'm looking around, Mark and Terry, they, they go there, right? I mean, like, th that's the place where, where so-and-so goes to church, and they assign church to be about the people who are in the church. Other people will talk about the programs of the church. Oh, yeah, they have CR on Friday nights. They're the ones who host ESL 
on Monday nights. Their service is at 10 o'clock on Sundays. They have Bible studies Wednesday at 6.30 and blah, blah, blah. Suddenly people are talking about the church as all kinds of activities that the church is about. Other people will talk about personality, all right? Don't you appreciate that these all start with P? I just, I just love it when that works out. Place, people, program, and personality. Personality, oh, that's the church. Or Barrett's the pastor. That's the church where Robbie leads worship or where Betsy's doing missions. And they make it about the personality, the people up front. But I will just tell you today that if you, if we were to build our church on any of these things, our church is doomed for disaster. Because any of these things in the life of the church could come or go. None of these things are the essential things that make a church a church, any church. And many of you guys probably know churches that maybe have built too, been built too much around some of these things. And maybe some of you even have hurt and heartache thinking about churches that have failed or have hurt or have disappointed because they're built around the non-essential, the non-foundational things. Church is not primarily about where its location is. It's not primarily about who all the people are in it. It's not primarily about the program and the activities that we have. And it's not primarily about the big loud mouths and the singing mouths that stand up front. Okay? Church is not about these things. There's another P word that I'd be glad to give you. You ready? I just love this. Purpose. Church is really about a higher purpose. If you want to know what the church is about, we've got to lift our eyes higher and we've got to be sure to build our church on that which is essential. I could have said the presence of God. That's what we talked about last week. So don't forget that. That is essential too, okay? But what I'm trying to focus on today is we also have to understand that we have to build ourselves not only on the presence of God, but on the purposes that God has for us. And that is what the church is to be about, okay? Now, what is the primary purpose of our, of our church, of any church? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's not our main text for today, but many of us are familiar with this text. We refer to it as the great commandment, or the great, excuse me. I'm just a preacher. I don't know what I'm talking about. The great commission, all right? We have the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the great commission, which many of us are familiar with here in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says to his disciples, soon before he is raised, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He prefaces this with the fact that he, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he bookends it on the other side saying, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But in the middle of it is this crystal clear description of the purpose that Jesus has for us as his people. We are to be about discipleship, right? We are to be about discipleship. We are called to discipleship. And by discipleship, we're talking about, and this is a biblical word, so if you're new this morning, I know we have many who are seeking the Lord and seeking understanding of the Lord. We're talking about both being disciples and making disciples. We're talking about 
growing in our relationship with Jesus personally, and we're also talking about living with purpose so that we can help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. Discipleship. But it is an important question to answer. What is discipleship? And that's why I chose Luke 5 today. Um, I don't know about y'all, but a large part of my life um, was spent doing church things, but not experiencing true life change. And I don't know about y'all, but for me personally, I don't want to do church things. Anybody? Can I get a witness in the house? I don't want to live my life just doing church activity. I want my life to be lived experiencing radical life change. Anybody with me? I really sincerely, in an authentic way, not preacher talk here. I'm talking just as an ordinary dude living here in Memphis. Ain't nobody got time to just be busy with church stuff. But I tell you what I do when I experience, I want to experience a real relationship with God. That changes everything about me. I want that. I want to experience real life. And you know something else that I'm starved to experience is real purpose. I want my life to count for the things that matter in the end. Anybody else with me? Now that's why I choose Luke 5. Because you, you have to understand how radical Jesus is. Like how radical his message is. How radical his ministry is. How, how incredibly radical his interactions even here are. I mean, Jesus came to bring life. And I'm telling you, he came to redeem life. It is possible to really experience life change with God. And that's why we're here in Luke chapter 5. I'm so thankful that the Bible is not just filled with principles, but is a book filled with people. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, if all we had was principles, man, we need to know principles, but we also got to know people, don't we? I'm so thankful that the Bible is not just a, a book of doctrines about how to know God, but it's stories with people of actually how to relate to God. Uh, I'm just so thankful. Luke chapter 5, what we see here is an incredible moment of Jesus and his radical way breathing life into dead people and redeeming them so that they might become disciples and so they might be purposed to make disciples. I want to put up um, on the screen for you um, Basically, what I'm going to go ahead and give you kind of all the things that I want to talk about today. <laughs> um, and there, there's going to be a series of arrows that go up on the screen. But here's, here's some things that I really see in this passage. We'll call them marks of one who are growing in a relationship with Jesus. I really hope that you'll identify them and not just trust me for them, but really trust God's word for them. Because what I see in this passage are, are these things. And sure, we could talk about more, but for today, I, these are the things that God's put on my heart to highlight. I see a man who's responsive. I see a man who's humble. I see a man who's trusting. I see a man who's treasuring. And I see a man who is purposed. The passage opens with people 
pressing in on Jesus. People are really trying to figure out who is this guy and what does it look like? What, what is he teaching and what is he about? And he's pressing in, verse 1, and Jesus, like God does. There are a lot of Simons in this room, by the way. Before we pursue God, he first pursues us. And I'm so thankful that Jesus makes his way toward these boats. One of the boats is Simon's. You think Jesus really needed that particular boat? Yeah, maybe. He's going to use it here in a second. But I think Jesus is after the man who owned the boat. We see that from the story. And he asked Simon, and what you see in Simon is someone who's interested. Interested enough to be what I call here responsive. And responsive enough, I don't know about y'all, if y'all were um, working at St. Jude, let's just make it practical here, and you're working in your biomedical lab, and I show up in your lab, and I'm like, hey, don't do the test tubes that way, do them the other way. I don't know about y'all, but probably, you'd probably be like, hey, Barrett, stick with the church stuff. You ain't got no clue about what I do on a day-to-day basis, right? Here Jesus is walking up to Peter, and Peter is a professional fisherman. That's what he does. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, uh, Peter, verse 4, why don't you put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? Peter's response is, um, hey, Jesus, uh, verse 5, we have uh, kind of been doing this all night, and we have caught nothing. <laughs> you almost having that, like, for real? I've been out here working all night doing this stuff, and you're going to walk up here and say, hey, why don't you try one more time? Just do it my way. Y'all ever have people like that in your life? You don't have to say it, especially if they're here with you. But Jesus is actually, he actually knows what he's doing. He actually knows what he's doing. And interestingly, and Peter, you know, and I love that Jesus calls ordinary people. We should never think that the church is primarily a church for the empowerment of an elite group of religious professionals. Jesus goes after ordinary people, fishermen, blue-collar men, people who get their fingernails dirty on a day-in and day-out basis. Jesus is going after them. And Jesus actually knows what he's doing. Hey, Peter, uh, I know you haven't caught anything all night. But I want you to know who I am. That's what Jesus is doing. Bringing you to a place of frustration so you can experience fulfillment. Because what you're looking for, Peter, is not going to be found in what you're doing. It's going to be found in me. That's what Peter's after here. And God gives grace in Peter's heart such that Peter begins to be responsive to Jesus. Something in this moment, Peter is seeking. Peter is seeking after more. And I know that there are many people in this room who are seeking after more, and God blesses you. Jeremiah says that you, when you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. God loves to see you seeking like the dad of the prodigal son story. He, he sees when you begin to journey home. I know that we haven't called anything all night, but I'll, I'll do it, Jesus. I'll do it. 
That's why he was responsive. But then look back at Luke chapter 5 at what happens. Verse 6. After they do it, what happens in the story? Suddenly, even though they worked so hard all night long, suddenly the nets fill up with fish to the point that they're breaking, to the point that they have to call in other boats, to the point that the boats are sinking. In other words, this is not just an ordinary catch of fish. This is an, a truly amazing, miraculous moment. And the guys sitting around are going, what? Who is this? And the next thing, the next mark of one who is in a relationship with Jesus, I put here is humble. Because what happens after Jesus shows up and shows them who he is? Look, after they, it fills the boat with fish. Verse 8 tells me everything about what Jesus is really doing in this passage. This passage is not about fish. This passage is about Peter. Because Peter, after he sees the fish, doesn't go, Woohoo! Look at all the fish. Look what Jesus can do. He does fish stuff. We got to put a new sign on the business, boys. Come to Jesus. He gives the best fish. He doesn't see this as a self-centered opportunity for gain. He doesn't even see it for the gifts that Jesus gives, which is the fish. Something much bigger is at play in Peter's heart in this moment. And I say that only because look at Peter's response. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to his knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. This is one of the marks of every person who truly knows Jesus. We understand that it's not about what Jesus gives, but it's about who Jesus is. We are committed to Jesus not because of what he gives, but because of who he is. And for every person who is truly growing in relationship with God, there is this moment of revelation 2 Corinthians chapter 4 describes it as like when the, just as like when the world was created and light was spoken in the darkness in Genesis chapter 1. God, in a miraculous, supernatural, gracious way, turns on the light in our hearts. And suddenly, there's an awareness of the beauty and the glory of God. There's this moment of like revelation and we're like, whoa, like I don't know how I've missed this, but our God is an awesome God. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. My whole life is owed to him. Did y'all ever watch um, Extreme Home Makeover? Some of y'all are too young to remember that. You're like a kindergarten when that thing was cool. Those of us who remember it, though, do you remember the amazing moment uh, at the end of the show with Ty? you remember this? And they always put up, I think there's maybe shows like this. I don't watch HGTV too much, but Michelle should have told me about this. But 
they put up this like big screen in front of the house that so the show is all about renovation of the houses right and just an incredible transformational thing and they the house looks so different than it did when they first started and they put up this big screen in front of the house and then there's this moment at the end of the show where they gather the family in front of the screen and they can't see the house behind it but they could just see this picture of their old house actually in that show it was a big bus before we had printers that were cool enough to print big things so we just had buses so they just parked a bus in front of the house that's right and the family would be like all i'm looking at is a bus but then on the count of three they'd go y'all say it with me move that bus yeah man y'all are awesome (laughs) we're kind of getting into it aren't we and then the bus and it starts moving and the minute the minute that it like moves out of the way and the family gets the side of the house, all of us are sitting on our couches crying <laughs> because the family freaks out. It's usually some story. They've had nothing. They've been through the hardest season, and it's just this amazing moment of revelation. And they're, the, the only thing they can do is just burst out in tears. Some of them just hug each other, and they cry, and we're all sitting there crying with them. We're like, oh, my goodness, this is the best show ever. Right? And they're jumping up and down for joy. When you get a real revelation of something wonderful, it will always be followed by a real and appropriate response. Reveal and response. It's what this show is built on. But it speaks to our hearts because it speaks of something that is more central to how we have been made. We have been made to be worshipers, friends. We have been made to behold the beauty of our God. And if God is gracious, and he is, what he has done for us in the gospel is he has given us an opportunity to behold his beauty. Move that bus, and all of a sudden, bam! Something happens in our hearts where we see, we taste, and we see that God is good. And there's a response And this is what happens. Peter comes face to face with his Savior. And it's not just enough to be like, well, that's cool. Look at all the fish. No! This is Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. It's not about what he gives us, about who he is. And he falls on his face in an appropriate response. And that response for every true disciple is not one of, oh, look how cool I am that Jesus picked me. No, how unworthy I am because... Though God is great, I know I am so sinful and undeserving. How could it be that my God could know me and still love me? How could it be that my sin be so disgusting and yet he cover me with such grace? How could it be humility, amazement at God, recognition of Christ, but also recognition of my sin that puts me in a posture of thankfulness for God's grace. Amen? This is the gospel, and this is what it looks like to really be growing in a relationship with Jesus. Well, i got to move on because I'm only on part number two, and there's five. But I'll just try to finish this story quickly, okay? Depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. But Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, so all were astonished. James and John, son of Devity, partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. The last three marks that I put here, trusting, treasuring, and purposed. Because what you see with everyone who really, and I'm not talking preacher talk, I'm talking about real stuff here. People who really have a relationship with Jesus. There are these qualities that, it's not about what I know, but it's about what he knows. It's not about what I can do, but it's about what he can do. It's not about how great I am, it's about how great he is. There's this total Jesus-centeredness that happens in our hearts. Where suddenly we find ourselves like, Jesus, whatever you say, like that's what I believe in. Whatever you want, like that's what I will do because you are my everything. I was lost in my trespasses, dead in my trespasses and sins, but, but you, by your grace, by grace, I have become alive in you. By grace, I have been saved. And it's now all about you, Jesus. All that we want is to trust him. And we see in Peter that there's not only trust enough to believe him and to move toward him, I love this word treasure because I think for so long, like, I just personally didn't understand, like, I, when I thought of God, I thought, okay, I've got to do the God thing. Like, I've got to do the church thing. It felt more like duty than joy. But the more I've grown in understanding the gospel, what I realize is that following Jesus is joy. It's not obligation. It's an invitation to come and experience true life. Listen, he's asking me to give stuff up, but what he's asking me to give up is stuff that will never, ever satisfy me. Stuff that in the end doesn't matter. He's calling me and he's saying, I am the greatest treasure. Yes, you're going to give up a lot. But in the end, you're going to look at it and go, that was nothing Because what I gain is so much more than anything I lost. That's what Paul says. I count it all lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Philippians 3. I can consider it all rubbish in comparison to Jesus. Treasuring Jesus. Like, my heart is literally feasting on Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Loving him and what he gives, and that brings total freedom for me to serve him, not in obligation, but in joy. Treasuring in such a way that it says in verse 11, after they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And I put this word purpose because what are they following? They're following him for who he is, but they're also listening and responding to the call that he's given. They're hearing Jesus say, hey guys, come. Come, follow me. And I will make you fishers. Even better fishermen than you were before. I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm going to take the journey that you have been through in life, and you're going to watch me. Watch me redeem your life holistically. Watch me change you from the inside out in such a way that the life that you live, yeah, it's going to bear some resemblance of how I've made you and what I've skilled you with and what I've 
called you to, but it's now going to be lived for a higher purpose than you've ever dreamed. Your life is going to be lived to make much of the living Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the purpose for which you now get to be a part of. I'm telling y'all from my own personal experience. Jesus is the greatest treasure and joy that you could ever hope for. He is more than enough. And, and I, I don't want you to hear that everybody's got to become a pastor. Okay? These are ordinary guys. And he's calling, he's repurposing an occupation that they were familiar with. One of the, you're fishers, I see that. But I, I'm going to give you a higher purpose. You're going to be fishing men. I'm telling you from my own experience that the purpose that we get to live for now as people of God is so more fulfilling and satisfying than anything that any of us ever deserve. It is amazing to be connected to God, and it is amazing to be connected to the things that life is really about, living for his name. Right? It's amazing. These are the marks of one who is growing in relationship with Jesus. Now, I just want to say this then. Okay, in summary, we're going to get to summary. This is where we're landing the plane. Okay, landing the plane. Attention, everyone. Make sure you know where the exits are because we're soon to land. In summary, I'll say this. Discipleship, then, is marked. This is the word that I would use. This is why I wanted to call the message transformational discipleship. Discipleship is marked by transformation. More than I want you to see a list, I was almost hesitant to like put a list up because we can list things to death. But this is why at the beginning I said, isn't it good that the Bible doesn't just give us principles, but it gives us people to learn from? Not just doctrines about God, but stories of how to relate to God. This is about you. This is about Simon. If you look at the bigger picture, this is about a guy who is radically changed by a Savior. That's what the story is about. It's a story about transformation. And really, if you go to the next slide, disciples, if you can understand this, you can really understand. Disciples experience ongoing transformation in relationship with Jesus. This is an indispensable understanding of what your purpose is really about and what our church's purpose is about. You understand discipleship, you have to understand that this it is an, it's a relationship with a person. Discipleship is a relationship with a person. A relationship with God. A relationship with a Savior. And this relationship is marked by ongoing transformation in our lives. To where we are growing ever more in intimacy and love for Jesus. And we're growing evermore and the fulfillment of the purpose that he has for us likeness of who he is and bearing witness to his name disciples experience ongoing transformation in relationship with Jesus track it one final passage and then I'll close Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 Paul has just unpacked the incredible doctrine of the gospel, the good news 
of salvation by grace through Christ, by faith as we trust in him for all who believe, right? Romans 1 through 11. He's just unpacked the amazing good news of the gospel. The reveal has just been laid bare. Romans chapter 12, he turns the corner and he describes our response. And very interestingly, he says this. Now I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of all of God's mercy toward you, I appeal to you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, you're still alive, but you're wholly surrendered. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You want to know what worship looks like? It looks like living life like this. In light of his mercy, we bring ourselves alive, wholly surrendered to him. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What I hear in this, listen very closely. Because some of us have a misunderstanding of discipleship. And those who are here this morning with downline, you have to get this if this year is going to be effective and successful for you. What Paul is saying is discipleship, number one, is not behavioral modification. Discipleship is not behavioral modification. Do not think that you've got to be conformed. In other words, cookie cutter. You just got to get your behaviors in order. If I could just learn to have my quiet time, learn to do more church regularly, learn to do this, share the gospel, study the Bible, all these things, blah, 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 behavior, behavior, behavior. That is not discipleship at its core. If you do that, uh, you're no different than many people that Jesus encountered. And he said, there's going to be many people who say, didn't I do this, this, and this, and this? And he says on the last day, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not about religious work, friends. If you're going after that, it's like the guy who, who has dead grass and his solution for the dead grass is to take a green can of spray paint and just spray all over it. The grass is dead, but I'm sure going to make myself try to look like I'm alive. That is behavioral modification and that is not the gospel. It's not discipleship. Secondly, Paul's not only saying do not be conformed Okay? It's not about the confirmation of behavior. It's not about religion. It's not about moral superiority. All those things. No. He also says, you've got to have something else going on in your mind. Renewing of your mind. In other words, discipleship is not just information acquisition. It's not behavior modification and it's not information acquisition. Some of us think that discipleship is all about just learning, 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 learning. But let me tell you, discipleship does not primarily happen in the classroom. Discipleship happens in the heart. Your mind can know all kinds of things about Jesus, but your heart still be unchanged by Jesus. And if you don't understand that discipleship is the ongoing process of learning, not just it's not about what I know, but it's about who I am. It's about who I know in Jesus, then you're going to miss it. Because your mind needs renewing, Paul says. 
Don't be conformed. Don't think that it's just about learning. It's about renewing. But be transformed. That's the word he uses. It's the same word that we get our word metamorphosis from, metamorpho in the Greek. Be transformed from the inside out. Experience a change by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you can learn that this is truly what our life is about, our life is about discipleship, learning to trust and follow Jesus and learning to live for him, but then you can learn that this is not about me changing my behavior. It's not about me getting more information. This is about me experiencing a work of Jesus in my heart. Then you will be in a good place on the right journey to experience true life. Life that keeps <laughs> swelling up in your own heart as Jesus just loves you and loves you and loves you and gives more of his grace to you. And life that seems to move through your life to be life-giving to others as you testify to what he can do for all who trust in him. This is what our lives and what our church should be all about. As we move to close this morning and transition, we're going to have some awesome opportunities uh, to hear from some stories as we move toward baptism of people whose lives have experienced this transformation. But right now, I want to ask about you. As everyone gets in a posture of prayer and we move to our time of response, I want to know where you are. We are called into a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that there are many in this room who are just like Simon. Who may be frustrated because you're toiling and toiling and toiling, but you never seem to get anywhere. But you're seeking. And you sense that God is seeking you. And I just want you to see Jesus coming to you like you did Simon. And helping you see that he can do what you can't do. You're empty, but he can fill you. For you to come to a place that you recognize this is not about what I can do for Jesus, but all about what he can do for me. And that you believe the gospel, the good news that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the best news. Jesus is an incredible Savior. Humble yourself. If you sense God revealing himself to you today, respond to him by saying, Lord, I know my sin. I ask your forgiveness. I surrender my all. I'm so thankful for your grace. This morning, you can experience that beginning step of transformation if you surrender yourself to him and trust in him. There are others of us who have experienced that at one time, but maybe we've drifted. Maybe we're in a new season of discipleship and we just need to pray earnestly right now. God, help me to live this life that you've called me to in the way that you want me to live it. Help me know that it's not about behavior modification or information acquisition. It's about experiencing an ongoing deepening relationship with you to where you are at work 
deep in my heart, transforming me from the inside out. It is all by your grace. Maybe today you could just cry out to the Lord, God, would you work in my heart? Would you help me to experience more of you? Would you help my life to reflect the goodness of who you are? There's prayer counselors in the back. I'm going to ask Tom to come up front. I just want you to respond to God. If you want to pray with anybody, please come. Pray with us. That's why we're here. This is our time just to invite Jesus' name. Thank him for his grace.